I don't know if I can match that energy level for you today. Uh, <laughs> uh, today, uh, if you're just joining us, we are, uh, we're jumping back into the midst of a series called Deconverting. Uh, and today we're, we're, we're coming back. We took a break for February and uh, we're moving on to part four. Uh, this is a series that you will have great benefit from the previous episodes. So if you have missed any of the episodes along the way, please Go back and listen to them at uh, intoone.ca under our message archive. Uh, each week is kind of built on the previous week. We, we, we refer back to those things, and there's a real sense that no one week could or should stand alone. They're designed to go together. So um, now that we're on the same page, uh, the point of this series is for those who grew up in church or have some faith history um, but they have felt for one reason or another that they needed to step away from faith to know um, may, maybe you did walk away for a good reason. Maybe, maybe, maybe it really was the right thing to do, but maybe you walked away from the wrong God. So I want you to consider Christianity again, right? Not the kid's version that perhaps you grew up with, but a, but a grown-up, adult-strength version so, so that's why we're, we're dealing with these uh, big questions, big doubts about Christianity and about Jesus. You know, you, you heard stuff and you saw stuff, you've experienced stuff, and you were unsure how to put it all together. And you might just have left, again, unnecessarily. I want to help you see it again, hopefully as best we can, for the first time. And I also want to help those who are still rocking in their faith to grow in confidence for themselves but maybe also to grow in confidence to gently engage in those who are struggling with faith. That's the plan, right? So you can follow along on the screens at intoone.ca under the latest message notes, or you can grab the handouts as you came in, maybe. Last time we talked about A Bible Tells Me So Jesus, where we made the really important point that Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It's the other way around. The reason that there is a Bible is because of Christianity. And this concept is so tricky to get our heads around. If you don't stop and think about it, you can, um, you can become defensive, right? You can be defensive about the Bible. I've got to protect the Bible. What did he say about the Bible? Let's get him, right? We, we seem to be so accustomed to defending God or the Bible or protecting it from people who say things or, or faith or whatever it is that we feel we have to protect, that we start to see heresy from a distance, right? It might be heresy. Let's get them, right? We, we don't really know what heresy is. We don't really know why it's important. And we really now it's just become a way to stop a conversation, right? Label it and attack. And somehow we have gotten the idea that the Bible is Christianity, and, and so as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Honestly, do we think that the Bible caused the resurrection? I mean, it's obvious that something happened. And then someone wrote about it. Isn't that clear? And the something that was documented isn't the same thing as the happening of the something. Right? So our primary point of belief as Christians is the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have an issue with Noah, no problem. But let's deal with the, the resurrection of Jesus first. 
You don't like all the violence in the Old Testament. Right. I got it. I get it. I understand what you're saying. First, let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is first. And it's really, honestly, the only thing that matters. Because if it's not true, then none of the other stuff really matters all that much anyway. Christianity preceded the Bible. The reason that we have the Bible is because of something that happened. And Jesus told the people that he met, uh, as he's walking around Israel and he's meeting up with people, he told them that he, that Jesus, was the fulfillment of everything in the Jewish scriptures. And some people started to believe him. And this little group of believers is, is just starting to grow. It's just starting to gain some sort of traction and momentum. And then he was crucified. Lights out. Drop the curtain. Obviously, he was wrong. And we were wrong about him. There were no Jesus followers after the crucifixion. There was no one on planet Earth that believed that Jesus was the Son of God when they saw him die. But then he rose from the dead. And the whole thing got started. And now all the Jewish followers went back to the Jewish scriptures and they start going through them. And, and, and those places that Jesus said, this is predicting me. And they said to the rest of the Jerusalem community, the Jewish community in Jerusalem, he was right. We lost faith. He's back. We're back, right? Everything in the Jewish scriptures, what we call, what we call the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus. And what happened was that the, the new Gentile followers, Gentile means non-Jewish, followers of Jesus became interested in the Jewish scriptures. Well, why? Because they wanted to become Jewish? Nope. If they had wanted that, they would have done that already. They got interested in the Jewish scriptures because they gained access, finally gained access to the Jewish scriptures, which was really, really hard to do in first, second, and even third century. Um, they realized that what Jesus said was right. The entire Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, pointed to Jesus. And there's a number of great stories that can display this. You probably have heard some of them. I want to tell you just one story today, and it has to do with Isaiah chapter 53. So look it up now, or, or, or when you go home today, look up Isaiah 53 and read it. This was written about 700 BC. That's before Christ, BJ, before Jesus, right? 680 to 720 years before Jesus. And when you read Isaiah 53, because I know you're going to, I know you want to, right? Um, ask yourself this question. Who does that sound like? It sounds exactly like Jesus. Jesus said, it's talking about me. And nobody believed that until after the resurrection. So I knew a guy at Bible school who had been a relatively recent convert to Christianity, and he had a very good Jewish friend who didn't really get all that excited that his friend was going to go to Bible school. So they would get into these conversations and, uh, about Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And so the Jewish friend said, relax, would you? All right, just calm down. I'm not going to go to your church, right? 
I don't even go to mine. I'm just not into that kind of stuff. And maybe that's like some of you who are listening. Maybe that's some of you who are here or people who are listening to this later on. So my friend says, okay, fine. If you won't come to church with me, will you read something? And the other friend goes, okay, whatever, maybe. Uh, Let's see what you got. And so he's anticipating a book, right, or an article. Check this thing out. But um, my friend brings him a piece of paper folded in half. And he says, just read this. And so his Jewish friend goes back to his place and he opens it up and it is Isaiah 53. And his friend had handwritten out the whole thing. So he starts reading it. And then he stops. And he starts to thinking to himself, there is just no way that this is in the Jewish scriptures. And he thinks to himself, those Christians, right? They have taken the Jewish scriptures and they've changed them. They've added stuff to them. There is no way that this, Isaiah 53, is in the Jewish scriptures. So eventually, he doesn't have a copy himself. So eventually, he goes back home. He pulls out the family copy of the Jewish scriptures. And he opens it up and he goes to Isaiah 53. And lo and behold, it's the very same thing that is found in the Christian Bible. Now, he's really disturbed. So he goes to see the rabbi. And he makes an appointment. He goes to see him. He says to him, hey, rabbi, I got a lifelong friend who just became a Christian. And he told me to read Isaiah 53. And he asked the rabbi, who is Isaiah 53 talking to? Who does it refer to? And the rabbi kind of chuckled and said, Well, it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And the friend says, yes, that's why I'm here. This is what is bothering me. And then the rabbi said, well, it does sound a lot like Jesus, but we are Jewish and we don't follow Jesus. And the friend drove away thinking, that was not an answer. That was just an observation. I already know that Jewish people don't follow Jesus. I had a why. I had a who question that didn't get answered. Who is this about? And the point is, when you read Isaiah 53, and you remember that it is written about 700 years before Jesus, you think, wow, that really sounds a lot like Jesus. So in the first, second, and third century, before Christianity had become legalized, um, these new Christians Uh, followers of Jesus, became uh, enamored with the Jewish scriptures. They went to try and find them and get connected with them and so interested that they began and they grouped those Old Testament Jewish scriptures together and they renamed the Jewish scriptures the Old Testament. Uh, They weren't the Old Testament until they got named the Old Testament, uh, which is like the uh, Old Covenant. Remember we talked about that? The actual word means covenant. And they took the first century documents that were Christian Uh, that were written by the followers of Jesus, and and they called that the New Covenant, and we call it now the New Testament. And they actually uh, put the whole thing together in a big package that we call now the Bible. Why in the world would Gentiles care about anything that the Jewish scriptures said? They're not Jewish. They're not planning on becoming Jewish. They don't have any interest in the Jewish side, but they were so fascinated by the Jewish scriptures because once they became followers of Jesus, they couldn't help but recognize the Jewish scriptures seemed to point 
to the coming of the Jewish Messiah. So Gentiles took them, put them together, and uh, now we got down, now we got a top half and a bottom half, now we got the first half and the second half. We're going to call the first half the Old Covenant. And that's pretty offensive to Jewish people, right? Because they say, hey, hold on a second, wait, 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 wait. That's not the Old Covenant. It is the covenant. It is current. It is the covenant of God with us. But the Gentiles say, uh, nope, uh, we're, we're going to call it the old covenant because we are listening to Jesus. And Jesus told us that he is launching a whole new covenant. This is happening through the crucifixion. I'm going to inaugurate a new covenant. So in about 130 AD, a guy named Melito from Sardis, he's the first person to actually label the Jewish scriptures the Old Testament. And he was a Christian, um, and he was so fascinated by the Jewish scriptures and how they foretold Jesus, how they foreshadowed him, how they pointed in that direction, that he traveled. He, uh, he was wealthy, and we, we have a letter that still has survived from antiquity that in this letter he says that he has traveled to uh, Palestine, which is what the area was called at that time, to find out for himself about the Jewish scriptures. He is the guy who gives us the first Christian list of the Old Testament, what we would call books. And for a couple of hundred years, Gentiles were following Jesus, again, Gentiles means non-Jewish people. They were fascinated by the Jewish scriptures. And eventually they incorporated them with the New Testament documents. That became what we now call the Bible. The point of all this is that Christianity preceded the Bible. Christianity is why we have a Bible. The Bible didn't cause or make Christianity. Why is that kind of important to you if you've uh, you know, taken a step back from Christianity, you're not exactly sure what you're doing there? If you walked away from faith because of something you read in the Bible or something you heard about something that's written in the Bible or something you, you can't quite figure out, you don't know how to put all the pieces together, something doesn't make sense to you, you're unsure of what to do, I'm telling you, if that's the case, then you probably walked away from Christianity unnecessarily. Because Christianity does not rise and fall on the way people talk about the Bible. The Bible came much later than Christianity. So let's put things in the right order, right? First things first, as they say. The reason that Christians took the Old Testament seriously is because it pointed to Jesus. And that was immediately historically relevant to them. And the reason that we take the Old Testament seriously is not because it is bound in leather and gold-leafed. We start with it because Jesus took it seriously. We start with Jesus, Jesus first. The life, teaching, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's our story. Without the resurrection of Jesus, really nothing else in the Bible has deep value. Jesus said, don't change anything in the Jewish scripture. He said, I am the fulfillment of the Jewish scripture. And Jesus seemed uh, 
to take much, um, if not all, of the Jewish scriptures entirely literally. So I stand with Jesus. That's my view of the Old Testament, right? I want to have the same view of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, that Jesus did. Christianity began when Jesus rose from the dead. That's the big deal. That's our big bang. That's our creation story. It was after the resurrection that people began to recognize that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And people followed Jesus after the resurrection because of the resurrection. And the evidence was overwhelming. There was nothing religious about the faith of Jesus' first century followers. Christianity did not begin with people who believed something. Christianity began with a large group of people who saw something. And then they believed in the person that they saw back from the dead. That's very different than belief in belief. Or, 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 you know what, you just, just have faith. You become a Christian through faith, but you should never become a Christian because of faith. Because there is overwhelming evidence, right? These people say, we saw him die. We looked into the empty tomb. We had breakfast with him on the beach. Our minds are blown. Why wouldn't you believe if you saw all that? This is not a blind leap of faith that people were taking. That's how the Christian faith got started. Christianity is not nearly as fragile as many people can make you feel. If it was really that fragile, it would never have made it out of the first century. So that helps us catch up on the past stuff that we have done. But don't worry, it also lays the table for what has come in today. Just as what Jesus said about himself turned out to be trustworthy. Remember, they believed what he said, and then he died. And then everybody quit believing. And then he rose from the dead. And then all the people started to believe at a near fearless level. And just as what Jesus said about himself turned out to be trustworthy and believable, in the same way, what Jesus said about God can be trusted also. So the the gospel writers documented what Jesus said, where he went, what he did. So if you are open to starting or, or trying to restart your faith journey as an adult, then let's try and wipe the slate clean. Let's get a fresh start. If you want to start that journey, the place to begin in terms of understanding God is Jesus. That's the starting point. That's the beginning. And he said that no one would give you a clearer picture of God than me. And that drove the Pharisees and the other religious leaders absolutely over the edge. They couldn't stand that he was saying stuff like that. It was so arrogant to say that. Unless it's true. Now, John, John was an eyewitness of all this stuff. John lived and walked and was with Jesus. John, who believed in Jesus, then quit believing when Jesus died and then quit not 
believing when Jesus rose from the dead. John, who was ultimately arrested by Emperor Domitian and put on the Isle of Patmos. So uh, here's, a, here's a publicity headshot of Domitian. This is the emperor who came after Titus. We heard about Titus. Titus was the one who led the way into the 70 AD kind of uh, major event. Um, and here's the Isle of Patmos, way away from anybody, beautiful, remote, right? Here's where Patmos is on a bigger map. It's the red dot that you can't see. Uh, <laughs> Greece on this side, Turkey on that side. And here's an action shot that they caught of John on Patmos as he's actually writing the book of Revelation. There it is. That's exactly what was happening. Domitian sent John to Patmos to rot in seclusion. Beautiful, out-of-the-way place. Why didn't he just kill him? Weren't they killing lots of Christians? Yes. But that was not going the way that the Roman Empire thought it would. There had been so many Christians killed, so many martyrs created, that every time they killed a close follower of Jesus, a thousand new Christians rose up. And so they decided, we, we got to stop killing Christians. We're not going to kill John. We're just going to let him rot on an island in the middle of nowhere. And this is a very important um, concept to get for next week. All right, so we're coming back next week. John, who had seen more bloodshed personally than the rest of us put together. John, who had lost friends to acts of first century terror by the Romans and by the temple leaders. John, who had seen things that we can't even imagine. John was there when Jesus said the following. And, and, and John came to believe that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. This is what John recorded Jesus saying. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. We go, what? You're comparing yourself to the Father? But he keeps going. He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And they're looking around him and they're going, uh, no, <laughs> we haven't seen him. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered seeing God. It's sort of the event that stands out in your life, right? We just see you. No. Like, is he, is he behind you or something? And so Philip pipes up and he says what everybody else is thinking. He says, Lord, show us the Father, right? And that will be enough for us. Come on, Jesus. Help me out here, all right? I'm, I'm trying to work with you. These guys, we're trying to get on your side. We want to know what God is like. All right? You talk about God like you're on a first name basis with him. Just show us the Father. All right? Can you ask God to make a little tiny personal appearance? Just a really little one, just in, out. And then Jesus says something that just sounds, I don't know, it sounds odd um, and even a little uncomfortable. He answers and he says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And the disciples look around. They're kind of like looking over their shoulders, right? Is anybody listening? Did anybody else hear what he just said? Oh, Jesus, you shouldn't say stuff like that. This is so extreme. Why would you say that? How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So what I'm trying to say to you guys is that if you want to know what God says, listen to me. You want to know what God is up to? Watch me. And then he says something that it's entirely possible that you have missed, right? Just goes by. Verse 11, he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but Jesus, why should we believe you? What you're saying is like crazy man talk. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I, I get that this is hard for you guys to hear. I, get it's, I guess it's hard for you guys to get your head wrapped around. I realize that what I'm saying to you is mind-bending. I know that what I'm saying may sound very difficult to believe. So if you can't believe it just because I'm saying it, uh, I want you to look at all the what. Oh, it's gone. I want you to look at the evidence. I'm not asking you to believe in nothing. I'm not asking for you to believe in belief. I'm not asking you to create a brand new category of belief that's called religious belief. I simply want you to watch and then draw a conclusion based on the evidence. So, as we press ahead, this might help you out, right? What did Jesus say about God? If it was possible, um, if we could really do this, if we could really just uh, erase everything that we've ever heard about God and uh, everything we thought about God, everything we, uh, we saw in a movie about God, and we could just start from the beginning, just start by what Jesus said, if it, it, it would free us up so that we would be able to think and not have so much baggage that goes around with it. So go ahead and get rid of the, the old man in the sky picture. Go ahead and get rid of boyfriend God, who you should always feel. Get rid of bodyguard God that makes sure you're always safe. Get rid of all those pictures of God. Say, okay, Jesus, here's your chance. Tell me about God. What is God like? And Jesus said that God is spirit. Jesus is talking to a woman. She has a name. I'm sure it's a very lovely name. We don't know her name. In the story that John is telling her name is the woman at the well. Uh, when you meet her in heaven, please be considerate of that, okay? Uh, they are actually having a debate. There's a back and forth here. She's a Samaritan, and their view of God is very different than the Jewish belief of God. And in this conversation, you can see what kind of a person, the kind of character that Jesus has. You see his compassion. You, you, uh, you sense his kindness to someone who is different than he is and who believes differently than he does. And Jesus tells her, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit, in the spirit and in truth. You might have heard that before. Sometimes when you have heard things before, it is hard to hear them again as if for the first time. So Jesus said this more than 2,000 years ago. And ancient Jews got this as well. What Jesus is about to describe, you won't think of it this way, all right? Because you're in Bible mode. 
So that's why I'm telling you in advance that this is a really big deal. They believed that God was immaterial, spaceless, and timeless. But for sure, immaterial. That's why they weren't allowed to have any image, no images that depict God. Why? You cannot depict God in an image because as Jesus would later say, God is spirit, spaceless, timeless, immaterial. And this flew in the face of all the pagan religions because all of them had idols and they had temples that they put the idols in temples dedicated to those idols, and everyone had household gods, gods that they had in their home. Now, the thing, uh, this is kind of cool, that is exactly what modern people would expect. We believe that once upon a time, although you can't really use that language because time, this is before time, that there was actually a thing that science calls a singularity. There was an event And from that event, all space, all time, all matter, the laws of nature, the laws of physics, you can suck it all back into this minuscule piece of nothing, and suddenly, it all started. There wasn't, then there was. And Christians have always believed that there is an uncreated creator, that there is a necessary being, that there is a first cause. Tell us about this first cause. Well, the first cause must be immaterial. Because material, everything that is made of matter, at one point it did not exist. And then it existed. We are going back before it existed. We know that that being must be timeless because time did not exist before the singularity. And whatever that being was, it was spaceless because space did not exist before it came into existence. Whatever the first cause is, it is above and beyond the laws of nature. You could say that the first cause was supranatural, just above and beyond nature. And when we start to say supernatural, it freaks some people out, and then they get all freaked out, and they get distracted, and we can't have a conversation. So let's just call it supranatural. And Jesus comes along, And he simplifies that whole complex thing and he says, just think of it this way. God is spirit. Exactly what we modern people would assume would have to be the case about an uncreated first cause. Now the problem with spirit is, well, it's it's spirit, right? It's not exactly all that helpful, right? We don't know, we we can't quantify that. So Jesus wasn't finished, right? So he says, we have spirit on this side, and then way, way over on the other side, Jesus says, God is Father. Not the reflection of your earthly father, but the perfection of Father. So one day Jesus is praying, and his disciples are kind of watching. Um, They watch what he does, and they're watching him all the time. They're always looking to pick up pointers, right? Best practices. How does he do it? How does he hold his hands? And they see that uh, Jesus, and they look at themselves and they go, man, it just doesn't feel like we're doing this right. So Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. He said, now that, that's the starting place. That's where we're going to begin. But let's clear this up a bit so we don't have any misconception. God is not 
male. God is not a man. God does not have a gender. God is spirit. Jesus says, spirit, yes, but God is also personal. And the best I can do for you guys, the closest that your minds can get, the closest that you, you creatures that are bound by time, you space creatures, you material creatures, you cause and effect creatures, the closest that you can get while trapped inside this universe that you understand, the closest you can get to understanding the personal nature of your creator is Father. Go with that. See where that takes you. Whenever you talk to God, use this. Father. It's the best relational picture that exists. He's spirit. He's father. He's far away. He's close. And then later, after the resurrection, Jesus, uh, John, not Jesus, John, is writing a letter to some Christians and he is thinking about what he has learned about God, uh, what he's learned from Jesus. And he wrote a statement that has become imprinted, not just on our minds. It has been imprinted on our culture. It comes from all different directions now. Many people who claim this to be true have no idea where this idea came from. Jesus says, God is spirit, God is father, and God is love. And John's view of God went through some serious turbulence over his life. It was constructed, then it was deconstructed, then it was reconstructed, and John's view of God was completely turned upside down by Jesus. John grew up as a little Jewish boy who grew up into a little Jewish man, or maybe a full-size Jewish man, and he believed that God loved Jewish people, and God put up with everybody else. That was first century thinking. Jewish people in the first century would not even go into the home of a Gentile, and they would never, ever invite a Gentile into their own home, because if they do that, they would become ceremonially unclean. That's the God that John grew up on. John, who had lost so many friends as martyrs, John, who had seen unspeakable horrors and, and, and violence and bloodshed and civil chaos and uh, a distinct absence of love, writes, and he reveals that God is love. He says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And when Jesus was to be crucified and he, and he gathered the disciples together and Jesus told his followers then and there that this will be the distinguishing characteristic of those who follow me. Now what, not what you know, not what you memorize, not where you go on Sunday morning, not what you're against. The distinguishing mark of those who claim to be my followers, is that you love one another. Because that love for other people reflects the nature of God. But this shouldn't surprise all of the modern super smarty pants people. Because after all, shade requires the sun. As shade requires the sun, you can have uh, sun with no shade, but you cannot have shade 
with no sun. Just as shade requires the sun, evil requires good. Goodness must necessarily pre-exist, which means, and this shouldn't be a surprise to us at all, love must necessarily pre-exist unlove. You cannot have unlove first. Love must pre-exist unlove. And after seeing uh, unspeakable violence throughout most of his life, and certainly for the last years of his life, John comes to the conclusion after all the violence, God is love. This is why God cannot be evil. That's why the Roman gods and the Greek gods that toyed with human beings, we know that they weren't God. Because good pre-exists evil. God cannot be evil. Just as modern people should not be surprised that God is spirit, we should also not be surprised that God in his essence is love. You, you can recognize evil, right? You recognize injustice because you know good. You know justice. And, and you react with disgust when you see someone that, some people who are trying to uh, claiming that evil is good, or trying to blur the lines between justice and injustice. And whenever you appeal to ought, whenever you appeal to justice, whenever you appeal to love, you need to do the loving thing, right? You ever said that? You need to do the right thing. You're not doing this on purpose, but you are declaring the essence and the existence of God. When a person seeks shade, they declare the existence and the power of the sun. Every single time that we seek good, every single time that we seek justice, every time that we seek ought, without knowing it, us time-bound, space-bound, material-bound creatures declare the glory and the existence of God. If you have ever said in your life, you know what, I'm not really a, a Christian. I don't really believe the Bible. I just believe that God loves everybody. That is a distinctly Christian teaching. And it started with John after spending years with Jesus. Before Jesus, no one ever said that the essence of God is love. People said that the essence of God was a whole lot of things, but they never said Love. John said, I have been with the man who introduced us to the Father. And the best I can put it, God is love. And that love pre-existed everything. And that begs the question that we're going to talk about next week. If God is love, why is there evil in the world? But before we get to next week, let me ask you a better question right now. Why do you know there is evil in the world? Why do you recognize that the world is broken? Why do you recognize that you are broken? Why do you know what you ought to do? No, no, no. For a second, just forget about God and what God 
wants you to do. And forget about me and what you think I want you to do. Why do you not even do what you think you ought to do? How do you know what you ought to do? Where did it come from? Why is it that I'm so, un- so comfortable in the shade? Because I know there's a sun. Why is it that I feel guilt about anything? Because there is the sun. Why is it that I take comfort uh, in my friends who are doing the, quote, wrong things? I feel good with them, but I can feel uncomfortable around church people. Because they remind me of what I am not. Because there is a sun. That evil in the world, that sin in the world, that falling short in the world, whatever you want to call it, declares the existence of the God that perhaps you have decided does not exist. And why do we come to that and we just excuse it with, well, nobody's perfect. How do you know what perfect is? Where did you get that idea? And John would say, I'll tell you where you got that idea because perfect love preceded us. God is love. And how can you live in a world that is just brimming over with terror and bloodshed and pain and suffering and come to that conclusion? That's why you don't want to miss next week. That's why, please, I want you to reconsider your faith because you may have left unnecessarily. That might very well be the church's fault, and I'm willing to own that. But don't use that as an excuse to miss that God is spirit and behind everything that exists. I'm not far away. Just reach out to me as Father. I'm accommodating to your capacity. Just consider me a perfect Father. Close enough for now. And understand this, that regardless of what you see and regardless of what you experience, I am the sunshine. I am the light of the world. I am love. And when it comes to God, Jesus is our best picture. Jesus is the place to start. Jesus is the most reliable source. So here's some homework. Thanks. It's really hoping for some homework today. First, read Isaiah chapter 53. Won't take you long. It's a good start. Then you've got a whole week. Read the book of John. All right? You can get it for free online. Um, try the YouVersion Bible app on your phone if you want. If you don't have a Bible, talk to me. I'll get you a Bible. In a book format, the book of John is about 25 pages. We call it a book, and it is a book, but it's not a book like War and Peace is a book. All right? It's about 25 pages, depending on the size of the font. Read it and ask yourself this question. What do I learn about the Father from the Son? Try to forget about everything you heard about when you're growing up. It's not like it's all bad or wrong or anything like that. Just try to give yourself the clear page. Don't add on to what you read there. What does Jesus teach us about the Father? Perhaps there's something there that that you don't know. Perhaps there's something there that you never learned. Perhaps there's a relationship there that you thought wasn't. Father, thank you 
for a place where we can even talk about this kind of stuff. Thank you for a church that's open to that. Father, would you please show us who you really are? We, we want to meet up with you. So, Father, teach us, urge us, call us towards you, please. We want to believe. Help our unbelief. Meet us this week as we seek after you, I pray in Jesus' name.